Thank you um, very much for this opportunity. I had the opportunity this past summer to do a series of meetings with the young people, and uh, I really enjoyed that, and I was also really blessed by your ministry gift. And I know I sent a note, but I wanted to just say thank you in person. It really meant a lot. And as I continue to seek the Lord for direction in my ministry, I am thankful for the saints at Holland Gospel Chapel <clears throat> and for the opportunity to address you as a congregation. Though I was kidding Ben earlier, I said it was kind of unfortunate that I get the after lunch crowd. But I thank you for sticking around and I hope that I'll be able to keep you awake. But if you do fall asleep, I won't hold it against you for long. <laughs> anyway... Today, Ben kind of gave us an overview of the first three chapters of Colossians. And obviously, there's an awful lot of stuff in there, so we just scratched the surface. Well, what I would like to do is take a microscope to the first 15 verses of Colossians chapter 2. So we already went through some of this stuff, but as we look at it in a closer view... Hopefully, we can glean some gems which will help us through our daily life. Because one thing that's already been alluded to today, if we don't take the truth of Scripture and live it in our everyday life, then it doesn't do us any good. There are many people that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And we do not want to be among those people. Um, before I begin, I just want to say a few words about my ministry. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have a website called Speaking For Him, speakingforhim.com, speaking the number four, him.com. And on that website, there's some ministry audio and endorsements from people that have heard me speak and some other ministry resources that you can avail yourself of at a future time. All of my sermon audio, including this sermon, will be on that website for future reference. So for those of you who um, would like to hear it again or would like to recommend it to others, that would be great. And uh, just let other people know about my site, because I really want to be out among God's people continuing to share the Word of God as He has called me to do. So we're going to start. I have three points for those of you taking notes, and I hope that many of you are, <clears throat> because what we're going to deal with is not something that can easily be dealt with in a short period of time, so I hope that you'll give it your study and your attention in the future, and above all, I hope that you'll search the scriptures to find whether the things that I say are true, as the Bereans did in Acts, because as I often say to my audiences, what I have to say is not of very great importance much as I would like to think so. But what God has to say is very important. And what God has charged me to do is to tell you what He has to say. Where I leave that path, I encourage you to disregard it and to challenge me. But as far as I stay on that path, as I hope by God's grace to do, I hope that you will take what I have to say to heart and that it will change you and that it will change me as well. We're going to start with the first point, and it's found in the first five verses of this chapter. So if you'll turn your attention with me to Colossians 
chapter 2, verse 1. We're just going to read the first five verses here. It says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. <coughs> and for as many as who have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am one with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. For all these words that are in these first five verses, I think the most important word, perhaps, is a small three-letter word that says all. Because it says to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ben alluded to this earlier when he talked about uh, briefly about the Gnostics. One of the things that they were known for is the idea or the teaching that there was hidden knowledge that you couldn't know unless you were a special breed of person. And if you worked hard enough, and if you did the right things, then you could attain to this hidden knowledge. This passage tells us that all of the knowledge and the treasures of wisdom are found in Jesus Christ. And the trouble that most people come into is when they try to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most cults are not an outright lie. Actually, you know, we, think, we talk about the devil being a liar and the father of lies, and he most certainly is that. But all of his lies basically are manufactured based on truth. He regurgitates what God already told us, and he takes out the most important parts. And he calls it good. So he doesn't just he doesn't just totally go against the truth. He takes a little bit of truth and he sprinkles in a lie. And you know something, folks? Half of the truth is a whole lie. The first point that I want you to write in your outline, if you're keeping notes, is Jesus Christ is our complete hope. Jesus Christ is our complete hope. The, the, our hope of heaven, our hope of life abundant here on this earth is as a direct result of our hope in Jesus Christ. It's not about baptism. It's not about going to church. It's not about saying the right things. It's not even about the things we do, although the things that we do should show our gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it's not about those things. It's all about Jesus. And that's actually the title of my sermon, if you want to put that at the top. It is all about Jesus. And Paul is writing, as, as Ben alluded to earlier, to these people that he didn't have a chance to see. But through the power of the pen and through the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to write this letter 
and give them encouragement that as long as they stay true to Christ and that they were beholding Him and Him only, then they were fulfilling what God required. And um, let's look at a cross-reference. If you have your Bibles, um, whoever gets to this passage first, if they'll stand up and read it, it's Matthew 11, verse 25 to 27. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. If somebody could find that for me and then read it, that would be great. Um, and as you're turning there, just just think about this: that um, we a lot of times we we talked about easy believism earlier, and how we we kind of simplify that. You can just say words, and then you're and then you're saved, and everything's okay. But another thing we do is we overcomplicate things. Humans are people of extremes. We either oversimplify or we overcomplicate. And uh, so I think what Paul was addressing here was definitely some issues of overcomplication. But does somebody have that Matthew 11 passage? At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them by the babes. Even so, O Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, but he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. Drive me and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden Okay, so we, we see in this passage, Jesus, <coughs> Paul is basically talking in this passage in Colossians about what Jesus just talked about there in Matthew. That everything that the Father revealed um, about Himself is found in the Son. And all of that has been revealed to those who the Son chooses to reveal it to Him. The Bible says that that no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. And it says that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And, you know, the, these Gnostics, they, they said, well, there's secret knowledge. There's stuff that you can't know unless you attain to certain things. But Jesus said, what did He say? He said in John chapter 15 that you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. Because I've revealed to you everything that my Father has given to me to reveal to you. What an amazing privilege we have to be called the friends of God. But if you had a friend, if you, if you had a best earthly friend, and you always did things that, that irritated him, that, that went against everything that he did for you, would that be true friendship? No. If you have a true friend here on earth, you want to do everything you can to please them because you care about the friendship. So how much more should it be that when the Creator of the universe says to you, I want to be your friend, and He made a way for that to happen because without 
the shedding of blood. There'd be no way for him to be our friend because he can't stand the stench of sin. But because he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, and because he rose again from the dead on the third day, we can be called the friends of God. And it's all done because of Christ. Christ didn't say on the cross it started. No, he said it's finished. It is finished. Done. My dad often says, other other religions say, this is what you must do. Christianity says, this is what's done. That's the difference. My sins are taken care of. They're clear. My account is clear. I am righteous, not because of who I am, but according to His great mercy. And I'm thankful for that today. The second part is is the part of our response. So the second point points to another C. It says, therefore, continue in Him. Remember, Christ is our complete hope. So where should we be investing our time? It should be in getting to know Christ better and living as He would have us live. Let's look at the next five verses. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of every principality and power. And that's Colossians 3, 6-10. to And as we look at this, I see a real parallel between this and Psalm chapter 1. In Psalm 1, you hear um, the psalmist talking about, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth not in the way of sinners, who sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. And you have all this negative stuff that would happen to an unbeliever. They walk in the way of sinners. Um, they, they stand in paths of unrighteousness. And then they sit down. It's a progression of evil. This is a progression of righteousness. This is showing how to live a righteous life. To walk in Him. To be rooted and built up in Him. And to establish your roots. Which is a really good way to put it. Because again, alluding back to Psalm 1... Um, it talks about the righteous being like a tree whose roots are planted firmly by the water and his leaf also shall not wither. So I, I just thought of Psalm 1 this morning as I was thinking through this again. And he says, <coughs> abound therein with thanksgiving. You know, I think of Romans chapter 1 where it talks about all the great things that God did and always one of the first things that caused people to go the wrong way. They failed to give God thanks. 
if you look in Romans chapter 1, that's part of what caused the downward spiral. Spiral is failing to give God thanks. And then we see, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. If someone's teaching does not focus on Christ, it's a good bet that it's wrong. You know, often people say, well, I I like to study some of the, the other religions so that I can know what to watch out for. And that's not necessarily always bad. However, I find it interesting to note that when someone is being trained to seek counterfeit money, like if you work in the police department or with the FBI and they're training you to spot counterfeit money, they don't give you a stack of counterfeit bills and say, okay, this is counterfeit, this is what you look for, and so this is how you know whether or not what you have is counterfeit. (coughs) No. What they do is they spend hour upon hour upon hour looking at the real thing so that when they see a fake, they can spot it miles away. The challenge for us is to spend hour upon hour upon hour diving into the Word of God so that when someone says something against the Word of God, we can stop it right there and take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That is the challenge for the Christian. That is the challenge for the Christian, is to live a life to where Christ is central in thought and word. You know, I had a cousin who told me the other day, or not the other day, a couple years ago actually, she told me to stop sending her Christian garbage via Facebook and the email. And I, had, and I don't have very many personal discussions with her. But I, I actually took that as a compliment because it's very hard for me to have any sort of conversation or any sort of thing that I'm a part of where Jesus doesn't come up. Because Jesus is the most important part of my life. He is who I am. I am who He is. It says in Colossians chapter 3 that my life is hidden with Christ in God. And and Jesus said in John chapter 15 that we're to abide in Him. So I thank God by His grace that that was an example that, that I'm doing something right. And occasionally I do that by His grace and I'm thankful. But without abiding in Him, without being in His Word, we can get tripped up. Because... People, um, they often will use truth and add a lie, like I said. Half of the truth is a complete lie. Sometimes they'll add one word. You know, I, I think it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a Bible, and in their Bible it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. One word changed the whole meaning of the verse. The Word was God. Because Jesus Christ is completely man and completely God. And He <clears throat> and He was before time, and He was in time, and He will be after time. 
Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, He said, um, that he said Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced and was glad. And they said, how do you know Abraham? Because you're not yet 50 years old. Because they only understood him as a human, as a carpenter's son. But he said to them, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say I was, he didn't say I will be. There was no need to say that because he simply is. Hebrews says, he, the, him that cometh to God must believe that he is. There's so much, there's so much put together in that one word that he is. You can't describe it any other way. Let's look at a quick cross-reference. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And again, whoever gets this first, if you could stand up and read it, that would be awesome. But, you know, just thinking about Jesus being the fullness of the Godhead bodily, you know, there are people that believe that Jesus was a man who was infused with the Spirit of God for a short period of time. But He wasn't. He was God. 3.19-21? Yes, Ephesians. And to know the love of Christ, which passed past knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, so we see in this passage that the power that we have in this life to do amazing things, you know, Jesus once said, and it's kind of interesting given that He was the Son of God, but He once said, um, Something to the effect of, you will do even greater things than you have seen me do. Why? Because of the power that is in God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. Why? Because His power is working in us. You know, when I was a young boy, from the time I first accepted Jesus Christ, at five years old, to the time I was fourteen, I was bitter, I was upset, I knew my eternal destination, but my temporal destination, I was bitter and angry at God because I said, if God, if you had given me a healthy body, then I could have served you. I couldn't be so effective for you if you'd given me a healthy body. And God stayed with me and He stuck with me through nine years of rebellion against Him. And he finally broke through and he said to me, he said, Andrew, and he had to use the death of my brother to get my attention. He said, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I just need you to yield your inside to me. And when you do, my power will come through you and you'll do exceedingly abundantly all, all that you could ever ask or think because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And when I realized that, I committed that I would go wherever I can to preach the Word of God. Not because I have power, but because His power resting on me is greater than any power I would have on my own. And I believe that He's working through my wheelchair in ways that He wouldn't be able to 
if I wasn't in the wheelchair. Some people have said that if I have enough faith, I can be healed. I believe that God can heal me. But I also have learned to be thankful for the physical infirmities that remind me of my spiritual need for God on a daily basis. I would not be here today if it wasn't for my brother who gets me up in the morning and dresses me and drives me where I need to go. And I wouldn't be here today if Ben hadn't offered to let me come and speak to you all. Everything that I accomplish is because of other people in my life. And I need to constantly be reminded of that. And when I forget, God lets me fall so that I'll remember. The third point, and this is the final point, and then I'll have a conclusion. Why is it that, that we should fall, why should that we should continue in him? Because he conquered sin and death. Because he conquered sin and death. Think about that for a second. It says in uh, Colossians 3:11 to15. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism wherein ye are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, have ye quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled all principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, them, triumphing over them in it. We sang earlier that one of the reasons that it's well with our soul is that our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. You know, I think about that day that Jesus died and I think that maybe for a split second in time, the devil thought that he won. He got the Son of Almighty God to go to the cross. At least he thought he did. He got the Son of Almighty God to go to the cross and to die. And as, as He was hanging there naked and cold and dead, He might have been thinking, I've won, I've done it. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, to this day, the demons believe and tremble because they know what their future is. And you know something? Demons don't have a chance for redemption. But praise be to God, we do. People say, well, well what about the love of God? Why, why would God send anyone to hell? My brothers and sisters, you cannot understand the love of God unless you first understand the judgment of God. Jesus quickened us together with Him. He forgave our trespasses. 
He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances, the law, all these requirements that we couldn't fill. He blotted it out. He nailed it to his cross and he took it away. And for those of us who accept it, we can have absolute confidence that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know where we're going to spend eternity. And I can tell you, based on the Bible itself, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I'm going to spend eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of these days, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. And I'm going to get a new body. And I'm going to run for the first time. But before I do that, I'm going to fall on my knees before God the Father and before Jesus Christ. And I'm going to declare to the world, both saved and unsaved, that He is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And I want all of you to be there when that happens. My heart's desire is that you would all be saved. And I'm not going to make any assumptions. I trust that you are. I trust that you're living for Him and that you love Him. But if you have not begun this relationship, you cannot understand anything I've already preached, nor what I will finish up with. Because you cannot live a Christian life apart from the power of Jesus Christ. And you can't have the power of Jesus Christ if you're still dead in your sins. But He can quicken you. How does He do that? He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And yet it's hard. Because admitting that we need Jesus Christ is giving somebody else control over our lives. You know, I think half the reason that we have so many ardent evolutionists in the world is because if we believe that the world was created by a divine, all-knowing God, then we might have to do what He tells us to do. Because if He created us, He might have something to say about how we live our lives. And for some of us, that's too much to grasp. But my friends, your very eternal destiny depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. Let's look at one last cross-reverence in John chapter 12, verses 31 to 33. Again, if somebody could read that when we get there, that will save us time and we can move right along. John 12, 31 through 33, yes. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the princes of the world be cast out. And I, if I have lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Jesus is saying that there has to be a judgment. That the rulers of the world need to be cast out. And we talked about this. That he spoiled the principalities and powers. He took away all of Satan's power. 
and He gave us the power to resist Satan. The Bible says in James that we are to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from us. One of my brothers, one of my dear Christian brothers mentioned this last week and he said, he didn't didn't say that Satan would walk away. He said that he would flee. Because Satan can't stand up to the power of God. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, I am. When they said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, and He said, I am. Those words sent the people tumbling to the ground. Why? Because they didn't take Jesus' life. He laid it down freely. And He was given the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. And He did that because He loved me. And He did that because He loved you. And even while He was on the cross, you and I, were on his mind. He prayed before he went to the cross in John chapter 17 that we would all be one. And he said, I don't pray for these only, but also for those who will believe because of their words. And that was us. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I want to close with a brief illustration and then a concluding reference that I'll have you look up. But let's, I guess let's do the concluding reference first. Can someone look at Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12? Acts 4, 10 to 12. Um, you just see that all these passages, you know, they, they talk about Jesus. It's popular in this culture today to talk about God. But when we mention Jesus by name, that's when people get upset because that's where the power is. In the name of Jesus. Does somebody have that reference? Four, ten to twelve. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Can it get any clearer than that, folks? There is no other name. There's such a pressure today that, that all religions need to coexist. That we just need to get along. There are certain ways in which we can get along, but one way in which we must not compromise is that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It was a definitive statement. There was no A, there was no part of, there was thee. And we talked about in this passage that Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's no room apart from the word all. There's no additions to the word all. It's an all-encompassing word. So we need to be aware of that. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved.
So when people use the name of our Lord in vain, it should make us weep. It should upset us. Because that's the name of the lover of my soul. That's the name of the one who gave everything for me when I couldn't give anything back to Him. I can't earn my salvation, but I can out of gratitude and with fear and trembling tell you and seek to persuade you that He is the way to flee from the wrath to come. I hope that for those of you who are Christians, that you'll be encouraged to continue to be rooted in Jesus Christ, that you'll stay in the Word, that you'll focus on the Word and not studying other religions, so that when people point out something that's contrary to the Word of God, that you can say, I don't know all the details about what your religion teaches, but I know that you're wrong because the Bible says that you are. And the Bible is my definitive standard for living. I want to close with this illustration. And that is, there was a man who decided that he wanted to go on a ship. I don't remember why he wanted to go on this ship. I just, I know that he did. And he had money for his ticket, but he didn't have any other money. So he's like, I'll buy the ticket. And I have some crackers and some cheese, I'll take that. And he went to his cabin and he he uh, basically stayed in his cabin the whole time. Went up on deck a couple times to get some fresh air, but basically was in the cabin the whole time. He finally came out on the last day of the trip and some of the fellow passengers were like, why haven't we seen you in the dining area? And he said, I didn't have any money to pay for the meals. And they said, but your meals were included the whole time. All you needed was passage on the ship and your meals were included. The Bible says that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. And the Bible says that if we seek God first, He'll add earthly things to us. He doesn't say that earthly things are bad. Um, some of the, the richest blessings that we can have on this earth are our family and friends that are definitely earthly blessings. But they only true to come, truly come to us if we first embrace the blessings of Jesus Christ and His saving grace. Apart from that, we can enjoy nothing else. That's why Paul was able to say, I'm able both to abound and to be abased. Because it wasn't wrong to abound. But he knew that when he wasn't abounding in earthly possessions, he still had Jesus Christ. And he said, I count all things lost that I might win Christ. That I might lay hold of that for which he laid hold on me. And... uh, Nobody can perhaps uh, tell a more dramatic laying hold on story as far as Christ goes than can the Apostle Paul. We need to remember that, that, that Christ laid a hold on, on us and called us apart to Himself. The motto of my ministry is speaking for Him who spoke for me. 
And that's because He spoke for me. He said, Andrew, I have a plan for your life and I want you to share it with other people because they need to know about His plan for them too. So that's why I'm here. Because God gave me a message to share and until He returns or calls me home, even if it means by by His grace, because I can't say today how I would react, I can only ask that He give grace in the moment. Even if by His grace it meant that I had to go to prison or to death, I've been increasingly convicted that the day might come that I might have to be martyred. And I feel like a wimp. I'm not very good with pain. So I only pray that if it comes to that point that God would give me grace at the particular time to where I would not deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to preach Him and Him crucified until the day He calls me home. That's what I'm here for. And I'm here to encourage the saints to walk worthy of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, look at how bad the world is. But Peter said that judgment is coming and that it has to begin at the house of God. So brothers and sisters, let's get our house in order. And then we'll be able to go out and affect the world for Christ. We'll be able to turn the world upside down as the first century Christians did in Acts. First they got their house in order. First they spent days and days in prayer until the Spirit of God came upon them and gave them the direction they needed. First they evangelized in Jerusalem and then when they were persecuted and ran from Jerusalem they were able to... to branch out to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it starts at home. It starts with your own family. I, I have this one final challenge, and that is this. I've heard of so many ministers of the gospel where they have these great ministries, supposedly, but you look at their own families and they're not following God. I believe that our first and primary goal is to lead our families to following God. And when the Lord leads the right person into my life, and I'm able to, in the Lord's will, have a wife and children, that will be my primary goal, is to lead them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as I do that, as I am an example of that, then my ministry will increase. But how sad it would be if you got to the gates of glory and your own family wasn't there with you. I understand that you can't be responsible for them on an ultimate level. Because on an ultimate level, we're all responsible for what we do with the gospel. But please do not forsake your responsibility to your family to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to continue to intercede on their behalf. We need men who will do that. We need mothers who will relish teaching their children It's a lost commodity in our society today, even among our churches. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for these truths that are so clear in Your Word. We pray that we would be exercised not only to have heard them, but to do them. To live lives that are Spirit-filled and to know that You are being honored and glorified. We thank You for your willingness to use us as imperfect as we are to do your work. We pray that you would bless everyone in attendance and we pray that we would all leave here different from when we came. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. We ask that you guide us on our way whatever we have planned. 
for the rest of the day, or more importantly, whatever you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen.